0: Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today we have Daniel Kwok. He started learning about real estate investing at age 20, did his first deal at the age of 22, and by 23, he had 83 rental units. Since then, Daniel and his brother have raised millions of dollars for real estate while also running a YouTube channel with over 275,000 subscribers. So thank you so much for being on, Daniel. Hey, it's a pleasure, man. So give us a little background on yourself uh, prior to getting involved in real estate investing.
1: Yeah, I'll do my best to make it quick because I know usually <laughs> when I listen to podcasts, which is I listen to a lot, I'm kind of just like, all right, man, just hurry up and give me the golden nuggets and let me get out of here. Um, so very short background. I'm an immigrant to the United States at five years old. Uh, to say we were poor is an understatement. Uh, I mean, multiple nights, our family would sleep in the car because we couldn't afford to pay the heating bill. Uh, slept, Yeah, slept in the car. And you know, most nights didn't have dinner. I loved going to school because it meant I got a meal. Um, so, you know, I, I learned the value of, of the single dollar, uh, if anything, I'm more grateful that my parents were poor as opposed to rich. Cause I don't think I'd had the work ethic I have today. Um, so that led to me being 18 years old. I had negative 187.65 $187 and 65 cents in my bank account. And I still remember like it was yesterday looking down um, at my, I think I had a Samsung Galaxy S2 at the time, which is mind boggling to me, right? That we have now, we now have like the S22, right? <laughs> um, we have all these technological advancements. Uh, how long before they put microchips in our bodies? <laughs> um, so I remember looking, I still to this day, looking down and seeing that negative number in my account, I had a couple of Max. credit cards and you know, one day I decided to do something about it. And so I started learning about real estate. And uh, the way I got to know about real estate is I read an article by Forbes magazine when I was 17 years old saying that out of the top 1% of people in the world, um, 76% of those people made their money by investing in real estate. So I was like, Ooh, got to do that. Uh, And it turns out not only do I want to do it, but I actually really like doing it. Um, So here we are. I guess guess you could say the rest is history. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing when you
0: see those stats. And um, I, I, it's also one of the things too, is if you ever look through, uh, through like a Forbes 400 list of something, and you people yeah. and you, it's made people make their money in real estate, or like a lot of it's held in it. And it's just kind of, uh, it's amazing how that how that works, but it's it's true. So when, what was your first real estate investment, Daniel? Like what did, when you got started, what was your strategy? You didn't have many funds. You were just, uh, you know, getting, getting beginning, like what did you do and how did you do it?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, in many ways, I'm glad I didn't have a lot of funds. A lot of people mm-hmm. see that as a curse, yeah. right? You know, a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm so, I wish I had a million dollars right now that I could just invest. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I didn't because it changed the way I look at the marketplace. It changed the way I look at business. It changed the way I look at so many different things. And so um, instead of me saying, oh man, I wish I had a million dollars, the mindset and the mentality that I developed, I mean, mainly to give credit where credit is due, due to my relationship with God, uh, my mentality changed to, okay, how, what value can I bring to people so that way they can get me the million dollars to get the apartment building? right? Or to get the piece of real estate. So the first deal that my brother and I did was a portfolio of four single family house, uh, houses. And it was in this little place called Kankakee, Illinois, which anybody will tell you is not, it's not necessarily the Beverly Hills of the country. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, but we bought it, um, through, uh, we posted something on Facebook. I think my brother posted something on Facebook, something along the lines of like, Hey, you know, we're looking for maintenance people for our real estate investing team. And uh, he made that post in one of those like buy, sell, trade Facebook groups. Like, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like every, every town has those buy, sell and trade, right? So we posted there and we had a property manager who was also a landlord uh, reach out to my brother. And he goes, hey, like I've, I've got 19 houses that I want to offload. Um, you know, can we have a conversation about that? And so we ended up buying four uh, and that's how we did our first deal. We raised money from a family friend. Um, and funny enough, right? Like it's like when you tell enough people about what you do, People get interested, right? Because the minute you start talking about what you do online, people immediately, for some reason, go to, how, how can that benefit me, <laughs> right? Like, that's just the way us humans are wired. Uh, and I'd say that's the first thing I tell people all the time. When you're starting in your real estate journey, especially if you haven't done a deal yet, get really, really good at identifying what people want and how you can give it to them um, and how you can monetize that, right? Like that's, that's a really, really good question to ask yourself. I mean, really any, at any point in your real estate career. So
0: when you're going on from this, uh, this, these four units, um, how did you guys manage them? Cause where
1: you're located on the West coast, correct? No. So we're, we're located in the Midwest. So, okay, Midwest. uh, we live, we live in the Chicagoland area. Okay. So um, it's right there. so I grew up here. My, my, this is where my parents chose and we immigrated here. We lived here ever since I'm a diehard Chicago bulls, bears fan. So, you know, come at me if you're a, a sports you know, fan of any other city, although, you know, the bears aren't looking so great this year, but either way, um, yeah. So we started there uh, with the four units um, and, you know, we, we didn't manage them. We had, we had somebody else manage them. So the guy that we actually bought them from actually managed the properties because uh-huh. the way we saw it is, Hey, you've owned these properties and you've managed them for the last 15, 20 years. Um, why would we want to disrupt that? So, uh, you know, we just haven't, we had him manage. And well, a lot of that has to do with the fact that we were both college students at the time. Um, And we didn't necessarily have the time to manage. How did that work out like with him managing? I've never heard that before. You know, it worked out pretty well. Um, You know, people always say, hey, there's good property managers, bad property managers. There's good investors, bad investors. Honestly, at the end of the day, there's just good people and bad people. That's Mm -hmm. it. You know, uh, 90% of the mistakes that I've made in terms of choosing to work with people I wish I haven't worked with. 90% of it had to do with integrity and morals and values as opposed to incompetency, right? Like very few times in my career where, you know, somebody's mistake has costed me money and knock on wood, none of my investors have lost money yet. I've never lost any investors, any money, uh, you know, 90% of those problems had to do with ethics and values, as opposed to oh, I, I didn't know or I forgot or you know I'm not proficient in that you know particular lane of running a business or running a real estate portfolio. So I mean, I always tell people, you know, when you're looking for a good property manager, make sure you have a good person first. Um, mm-hmm. And when you actually look at it from that standpoint, hiring people becomes much more simpler and easier. Um, as every almost every successful person will tell you, a lot of this is simple. Um, except people tend to make things more complicated.
0: Yeah, no, I see that a lot. But, um, so tell us after you did this, these four houses, w- what did you do in your business, you and your brother to go from zero to 83
1: units in a year? Because that's some growth. Sure. Um, so I'll give you my cheat code, right? Which is, this is, this is the part where people are like leaning in, right? As they listen to the, <laughs> the podcast, driving home from their work, you know? Um, so, uh, the, the process that I see a lot of people forgetting is, For them, when they do their first deal, the thought is, How can I do another one? And how can I do another one? How can I do another one? How can I do another one? And then you get to a certain point where you just keep asking that question over and over and over again. And Mm -hmm. for me, the mentality that I had is, um, It was more so, How do I not do the next deal? How do I actually build a business? Mm -hmm. Uh, And most people don't know how to build a business. Um, And I was actually talking to a friend of mine who, he's a very notable figure in the real estate world. Um, And, you know, that's one of the things that him and I talk about all the time is, you know, what are, what are, what are the, you know, not regrets, but what are something you would have done differently since the beginning of your career? And, and an answer that I've seen him give hundreds and hundreds of times is like, yeah, I wish I would have read more books on actually building a business uh, as opposed to like building a real estate portfolio. Cause my thought process was, okay, how do businesses scale? How do you know how well you raise capital, right? So, you know, after I did my, you know, first deal or so, I think the deal I did right after that was an eight unit apartment complex. And, um, you know, it was around that time, right before that time was when I really started focusing on, hey, like, how do I actually raise capital? But not only that, but how can I actually create a system of deal flow? You know, because I think a lot of people, like, for example, if I did a webinar right now on, hey, what are the top three ways, best ways to find deals? I, we would have thousands of people join that webinar. Like a lot of people would join that webinar um however if i you know talk to you about hey like how to leverage virtual assistants how to you know employ people right like if if i taught a, high, a much higher level on how to create a system i would make the argument that not as many people would show up to that one right um you know which is just sad but for me even before then i i focused okay how do i actually build a business as opposed to just doing deals um and that allowed me to think about you know instead of finding deals how do i actually create a system where deals can come to me uh, mm-hmm. Instead of raising capital, how can I create a structure where you know investors find me? And uh, I have the ideal individual that I want, right? Just like how with any company, every organization has what's called their ideal avatar, their marketing avatar, and it's literally a list of a bunch of things, characteristics that make up their dream customer, right their perfect customer. and if if you're somebody that wants to go from having done ten units, having ten rental doors to a hundred that's the first thing that I would recommend people do is identify what are the top three things you need to get there and identify your dream customer with doing that. Mm -hmm. So not only identifying your dream investor, like what does that dream investor look like? Are they an individual who just sold their company for $25 million and they have 3 million that they want to employ in liquidity, or are they a a doctor that lives in San Francisco Bay area, making $400,000 a year and their CPA is telling them to get into real estate for tax, tax reasons. Um, so identify what your dream customer is for your investors, but also the same thing for sellers. Who's your ideal seller? Who's your dream seller? Uh, is it somebody who's 65 years old needs to retire and, and wants to sell on seller financing? Or is it a 36 year old who wants to sell their eight unit because they want to go off and do bigger and better deals. Right. Yeah. Depending on the answer to that question, the way you market and the way you find these people is going to be very, very different. It's going to be very, very different. And so last piece of nugget before you ask me your next question is, you know, uh, instead of finding properties, look for people, instead of trying Mm -hmm. to find capital, look for people. Uh, If you look for people, a lot of times things get way, way easier. So even today, like my ways of finding deals is like, we don't do mailing campaigns. Uh, Mm -hmm. We don't do direct mail. We don't do it because for me, you know, that's 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 the way to find the property, you know, and that's okay right? I'm not saying that it doesn't work. Everything works, right? Like the infamous marketer, Dan Kennedy, right? He says everything works if you do it enough, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, my philosophy is, you know, how do I find the people? As in, you know, how can I reach out to bankers who can then connect me with individuals that they know who've owned properties for 20, 30 years? Um, How can I get in touch with different networks and areas and corners of certain societies and communities where a lot of these landlords that I'm looking for hang out? Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, it makes perfect sense,
0: and it's funny you said that about uh, uh you know, uh, about the VAs doing a VA uh, VA webinar versus investing in real estate. Because now when I think back, as you're talking about any mentor I've ever had within real estate or coach around it, uh, they've never suggested to me to read a real estate book. It's always other books around business and or mindset. So it's very. I never put two and two together like that, but that's, that's definitely yeah. true. Um. So, but when you were doing like when you were going, you know, uh, 40 units to 83 units, you're doing that. Is that seller financing that you were utilizing at that point, raising yeah. money and seller financing? Cause obviously yeah, it was
1: uh, most of it was seller finance deals. So, okay. uh, you know, we, we coined a little term called the force strategy, right? So my brother is a big star Wars fan and he's, kind of the marketing whiz between the two of us, uh, you know, he's being our being our chief marketing officer. Uh, but the force strategy stands for find the deal. So that's F mm-hmm. owner finance it raise the capital. So that's for right C is cash flow. it, And we talk about property management. And then the last one, E stands for expand the business, meaning that, hey, actually learn how to build the infrastructure where you can actually scale and support another 30, 40, 50 units. Um, cause that's, that's another thing that really separate good entrepreneurs from great ones is the great ones know how to look ahead and anticipate the needs and the problems of the next level. And they prepare mm. for that. Um, I always tell people like entrepreneurs who are always destined or at the level where they could, they can only handle 30 units will inherit a 300 unit portfolio and take it down to 30 in a matter of a couple, couple years uh, or at least three or four or five. Right. So, I mean, even just asking yourself, the question is, you know, with who I am and the systems that I've built and the structures that I have in place and the frameworks that I have, can I handle 20 units? Can I handle 50? Can I handle a hundred? You know, we can want and dream all we want, but do we actually, are we prepared? Just like how, if you're pregnant, you're going to buy the nursery, right? You're going to buy diapers. You're going to buy the crib and the mattress and all these things. Like, you know, you have a registry and all this stuff and you kind of go around the store and just, have people buy whatever you want, right? Which is what a strange concept, but it's so you know acceptable in today's society. Uh, but you know, think about that. That's a great analogy, right? Like even before the baby comes, you're you're getting the room all ready and prepared. It's the same thing with real estate. If you that baby is a hundred unit portfolio, do you have the crib already bought? Do you have the diapers? Do you have the baby lotion? Do you have all these things ready? To the point where that baby can come home from the hospital and you're prepared, you're fine. 95% of investors don't have that.
0: No, no, no. Yeah, it's they don't have their team set before they're looking for deals. And it's, I see it all the time because it's, you don't have a property manager, you don't have this, you don't have an insurance agent, you don't have all these things lined up that you're going to need. Like, hey, when I get that deal, yeah. what do I do with it? Uh, I don't know I'm well, gonna underwrite it. Well, what do you have yeah. for that? So
1: well, it's it's the same with raising capital. Like I get the question a lot of times, like Daniel, how do I raise capital? First and foremost, it's a very selfish question because look at the focal point of that sentence. It's I. Yeah. that's the main noun and the you know that that you're utilizing it's, you are the focal point as opposed to, hey, what can I do to serve other people? Because I would make the argument that there's way more people who want to invest into real estate with at least a hundred thousand dollars in their investment account. yeah than people who actually know what they're doing in this real estate investing world, right? I I would 100% make that argument. Uh, But it's the same thing, right? It's like the question I usually fire back is, all right, well, what's your product? Like at the end of the day, raising capital is sales. You're selling a product. And that product is broken down into three things. The product is you as the real estate entrepreneur and operator. The second is the asset that you're actually trying to raise money for and sell. And number three, it's your business plan. Like, what's your actual plan? Like, I get you want to go after a 36-unit apartment building, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, what overall strategy does that 36-unit building fall under, hmm. you know? So, yeah. you as the operator, they got to they gotta buy into you as the hmm. operator. Like, I'm convinced, like, you can take a bad business idea, you can put an amazing entrepreneur, and it'll work, right? Hmm. Um, so you, you, as the operator, they have to buy into that. They have to buy into the deal that you're trying to get them into. And you have to get them to buy into the strategy. Like what is the actual business strategy you're going to do with that apartment building? Are you going to value add? Are you going to, you know, what type of financing are you structuring? What's the five-year play? What's the exit strategy looking like, right? You get it. So, um, they have to buy into that. And most people who want to raise capital don't have that figured out. And it's just like, dude, you're trying to you're asking me, how do I have a million dollars a year in revenue? And you don't even know what your product and your offer is. Like, how are you going to do that? Right? Like, so how are you going to raise capital from investors when you yourself don't have a strategy, when you yourself don't have a, you know, like things that you're going after, like, you know, what, what do you do? Um, so again, it's just very interesting, right? Like people, there's, there's invisible barriers, right? It's like to each and every level of real estate. Interesting. So Daniel, what is your firm's
0: current investment criteria? Like, what are you targeting? You're targeting, I imagine, larger properties. Are you using similar techniques or completely different techniques than you were, let's say, when you started?
1: Uh, to raise capital or to uh, do anything for, for that just matter?
0: Just like, what kind of deals you're like? What kind of deals is your firm? Mm. You know, what are you guys focusing on? And then how are you sourcing those deals? I imagine they gotcha. get larger. They're coming from, you're not putting ads on Facebook for 100 unit complexes. You <laughs> yeah. are going the brokers. But like, some of that
1: must still be relevant in your process today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I have a couple of uh, different real estate opportunities that people can, you know, um, get more information about. So one is it's a real estate hedge fund I started about four years ago. And uh, all they do is real estate hard money lending. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the guy operating it is a, is a total stud. You know, the, uh, he's a good friend of mine. His name's Kevin. And he's an actual, you know, absolute brother. And uh, he's got a little bit more gray hair than I do, right? He's about double my age, but at the same time, you know, he spent, I think, 20 plus years in Wall Street. It was one of the top private money managers and, you know, ran his own hedge fund for, for a very, very long time. And, you know, he loves uh, lending, right? Real estate, hard money lending. And he's done that for a long time, bridge lending to be exact. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have that. I, I kind of just sit on their board and, you know, give advice here and there. Uh, you know, share my thoughts on the market. And then another opportunity I have is is, uh, a company I started with my very good friend and brother, uh, Andrew Willemies. And uh, him and I, we were, you know, we started a a real estate partnership, and we're going after uh, anything between 50 and 200 units. And uh, we're specifically going after lower end class B, upper class C. Uh, it's my personal opinion based on my research that there's an over building and an over development of class A apartment buildings in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, to give you some data, you know, we right now have 803, approximately 803,000 multifamily units that are currently in development. We haven't seen a number that high since 1973. Uh, and when you parallel that with 800,000 single family housing units in construction as well with the amount of shadow inventory that's been placed right due to moratoriums that we've had in the country the last two years, cause of the pandemic, you know, we're, we're talking about a giant inventory shift that's happening right now, as we speak mm-hmm. over the course of the next six to nine months. So as that inventory shifts, you know, and I think, you know, we've had absurd amount of rent increases as a nation. You know, I think the number was 15.6% and in year over year increase in, in rents, right. For people that are renting. And to give you an idea, I live in Illinois we are arguably the worst state for people leaving, right? Like it's us in California, like we're, we're the state where everyone wants to get out. Right. Uh, and yet, you know, in my area where I live, the, the, the cost of a, of cost of rent for a three bedroom, two bath class, a apartment, apartment unit has gone up 36%, you know, I mean, which is absurd, you know, the, the, place that my wife and I used to rent, we, you know, our rent went from 21. And when we're about to renew our lease, they wanted 27. So I mean, you're talking about a dramatic increase. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we've had such a low inventory in the housing market. And a lot of people were forced to go into class A apartments. So, you know, the reason why we're going after class B and upper class C is because I, I just see a giant movement of income saturation happening in the class A market, you know, over the next 12, 18 you know, potentially even 24 months. So, you know, we're, we're, you know, I I think affordable housing is going to, is going to be the major winner over the next two, three years, based on everything I've researched and the individuals that I'm talking with. So we're going after those deals. The most important thing for me is we secure long-term fixed rate financing. Uh, A lot of big syndication guys whom a lot of them are my friends. I love them to death, but I'll tell them that, listen, the way that you guys are structuring your financing is extremely risky. Because a lot of these guys are buying 300 unit complexes, first and foremost, overpaying for them, you know, like buying them at, gosh, 200 basis points below the market value cap rate that they should be at. And they're structuring two, three year financing in an environment where the Federal Reserve increased rates by 150 basis points over the last three, four months. I mean, like, come on, (laughs) you know, like what you're just like putting a sign on your front door says, hey, like I want risky deals, right? Um, so, you know, it makes me really nervous because I see a lot of people structuring bridge financing. Um, a lot of people are doing that and, and mezzanine as well. And so the question that I have is, well, like what's going to happen if, you know, a lot of these guys are buying into class a and rent's not going as up as high as they thought valuation yeah. is not as high as they thought LTV is not as low as they thought it'd be. And all of a sudden they're, you know, their bank is calling them and says, Hey, you're two, yeah. three years of bridge financing are you know, are, are coming due. We got to transfer you to some type of conventional financing. Um, and oh, by the way, our interest rates and our commercial rate ha- has gone up by two, 3%. Um, I don't see that going so well, you know? And again, maybe I'm wrong, right? Like I'll definitely continue to do my research, but based on everything I've seen so far, that's something that makes me very nervous.
0: Yeah, class B is our favorite. That's exactly, you have that either they still have good bones, the properties, they're in good areas, but um, you know, you can't make more of it, can't make more of a product that's 30 years old. So I I definitely agree with uh, what you're saying. Um, But Daniel, let me talk more about you. We these, uh, you have this, you and your brother have built this YouTube channel with uh, over a quarter million subscribers. Thank you. And uh, what are some strategies you've utilized when building your subscriber base that have yielded the biggest results?
1: Mm. So um, there's a guy that I absolutely love. And you know, uh, we've been coached by him and he actually coaches a YouTuber. I don't I don't know if a lot of people who listen to this podcast will know who he is. Well, maybe your kids will. But there's a YouTuber that goes by the name of Mr. Beast. And, uh, you know, he's, he's one of the, you know, he's probably the biggest creator on YouTube, right? He's got over 100 million subscribers. Oh. And uh, believe it or not, just one of his, I think his worst performing video gets as much views as the Super Bowl. Uh, which is insane to think about, right? Like I I think his worst video gets like 50 million views, which is nuts. Um, But uh, there's a guy that coaches him. He also coaches me, a guy named Daryl Ease. And he said something to me that was really impactful. And he goes, when starting a YouTube channel, there's two two piles, like a Venn diagram, right? On one side, you have what your channel stands for. And on the other side, you have what people actually care about. And your first 50 videos have to be in that middle. And that's how you hit 100,000 subscribers, right? Like once you develop a fan base, you, you have a little bit more flexibility. But you know, if I were to instruct someone on how to build a YouTube channel today, I'd say figure out what that middle looks like for you.
0: Interesting, okay. How have you, because I was doing some research on this as well prior to our, our interview, and it's you've niched down the focus to gain more subscribers. So tell me about this, because this is, I think when you're ever niching something down and getting back to what you're talking about avatar, it always scares creators because you're like, oh, I'm going to alienate all these people or whatever. Tell me why that's not true
1: or why it might be true. And then what you've done, because it's a very selfish way of thinking, right? Like the minute you start talking about, oh, I'm going to lose less at the expense of serving a certain crowd of people. It's a very selfish way of thinking. And it's not it's not quote unquote, wrong, like most people don't know that it's a selfish way of thinking. But, you know, if for, so I'll give you a great example. So um, two years ago, you know, we post a lot of stuff about the housing market and real estate, and we still do to some capacity. But I remember my director, Nick, who was just in here fixing my mic, um, you know, he said to me, he came to me, he goes, hey, man, I, I really think you should start talking about this thing called the Great Reset. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what is it? You know, and at first I thought, I just thought it was another conspiracy theory. Right. I was like, ah, you know, it's probably the same people who, you know, believe that frogs are homosexuals or whatever. Right. Like the birds are the drones of the government that, that come up with this. Um, and I started looking into it and I was like, oh my goodness, this is actually a real thing. Like, you know, if you actually go on the website of the world economic forum, the great reset is one of their biggest agendas. And they literally has put, they've put out a video telling the world what they want by the year 2030, um, and, you know, I can get into what that world looks like, but, you know, either way, I, I we did a video and it blew up. It got like 189,000 views during a time when that was considered a know a really, you know, viral video for us at least. Right. And so uh, we released a second one, got 430,000 views, released the third one. And now it's at, that one's at 1.1 1. 1 million views. And so wow. You know, Daryl kind of coaches goes, hey, I I really think you should keep talking about this thing because you've you found a group of people that really need your help, that really want to hear your voice when it comes to this particular topic. And, you know, you guys have an opportunity to articulate at the end of the day what people want. So uh, we've been posting a lot about political finance, you know, um, just to be open and vulnerable with you. I feel like we're at a time now in 2022 where everyone's so afraid to share their own opinion but I'll be very honest. I'm, you know, I, I, lean conservative. Um, you know, I'm one of those guys where, you know, I don't think transgender athletes should, should compete with women. Like, I think we're, I think we're pretty screwed up as a society, actually, to the point where we can't even, you know, we can't even answer a question on what is a man and what is a woman. Uh, I think that's, that is a byproduct of a lot of pain and a lot of, um, you know, unproductive and very, uh, mistruth way of thinking, if that makes sense, you know, now, granted, I'm one of those people that I'm, I'll listen to anybody and everyone, you know, I, I'm, I try to be as compassionate as I possibly can. I'm a very people oriented person, but, um, these are things that I genuinely have find interesting, you know? And so we started posting stuff like that. And when we did that in a span of two years, we went from, I think 68,000 subscribers to now today we're at 285. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's, you don't, there was one, Do you, okay. So do you remember watching a show called Malcolm in the middle? Yes. Yeah. So it was one of my favorite shows growing up. It was, I thought it was so funny. My wife and I just recently finished the show together, but there was one episode where the oldest brother, Francis tells the youngest brother at the time, Dewey this line. And it just like stuck with me, but he go. he tells Dewey, he's like, Hey, Dewey, you know, in life, we don't get to choose the people that need our help. And I, I was so blown away by that because it's so true, right? Like, you, you know, you don't, we don't, we don't, we don't have a choice in the people that need our help. You know, we don't choose that. Um, they find us because they need help, right? And, I, you know, that, that line stuck, you know, with me so, so, and it was, it resonated with me so much because I think every single one of us, especially as entrepreneurs, we all have an image and a picture of how we want our career to go. We all have this nice picture with sunshine <laughs> and rainbows on how we want people yeah. to see us. That's why ninety percent of us who are hard driven entrepreneurs want to be on stage in front of two, three, four, five thousand people we 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 all secretly desire that, whether you want to admit it or not right um so for me, you know it was that journey of okay like how do i how do I actually you know not without without sacrificing, you know, my goals or without sacrificing how God has wired me, but how can I adjust in a way where you know I do serve the people that need my help? Um, and what are the problems that I want to solve for people and entrepreneurs and real estate investors? And that actually is what inspired me to uh, for us, our team, to launch our coaching program we call First Deal Mentor, where we help you know high net worth individuals or really anybody, right, get into their first real estate deal. Um, you know, that's, that's what we do. That's the people that, that we help is we just help people, whether they're business owners or, you know, whether they're, you know, an art teacher, we help them get to their first deal and complete their first deal to the point where I'm literally showing them step-by-step what you need to do. Um, and I think a lot of people are frustrated, Charles, right? Like we, we all, everyone goes to seminars. We listen to podcasts, we read books, and we get a lot of great information, but at the end of the day, I truly believe there are people out there who just go, okay, that's all great, but what do I need to know just for my first one, mm-hmm. right? What what do I need to know just just for this one that I, I want to do? Because uh, I think a lot of people are just like, man, if I could just do one, right, like mm-hmm. that, that would be the world of difference, you know, so, yeah, um, yeah. yeah.
0: So with that program going on, as we, as we uh, finish up here, what are common mistakes you see real estate investors make from that coming to your program or people that you've just spoken to or listened to other than you mentioned prior about the fixed term variable debt, stuff like that, but anything else that comes to mind?
1: Yeah. You know, I'd say the biggest piece of advice I tell people is, is, you know, maybe I'm a little biased, but you know, hire a coach, like hire a coach. And I get the logic of what a lot of people say, right? There's like, well, and by the way we don't we don't we charge a fraction of what these big guys charge right? like these big guys are charging 25 30 40 50 grand right like i know certain companies are charging sixty thousand dollars, right it's ridiculous um just especially if you're wanting to do your first deal come on guys right so we charge a fraction of that right but you know um i i always tell people hire a coach because i get that you can spend that money to put down on down payment on house but the coaching, the goal, the objective and the coaching for me at least, right? is not for you to make more money. Like It's great, right? Like if you join our coach, but you will make money for sure. You will, you will get your deals done. But my priority is let me make sure you don't lose money, right? Yeah. Like that's where the, yeah. the true value of our program is that it's not helping you make a million dollars a year. Although with the information that we provide, I'm sure you will get there, right? You will, but it's more so about, Hey, let's not have you mess up. Let's, let's make sure you don't lose 45 grand in your first deal. Let's make sure you don't lose, you know, 60,000 or 150,000 mm. or worse. Let's make sure you don't lose any of your investors money. So, mm. you know, I tell people all the time, like, look, you're either, you're going to pay for education some way, shape, or form. You're either going to pay for it with me, or you're going to pay for it out there in the marketplace. And I guarantee you that 99% of the time, the, the cost of education in the marketplace is 10, 10 X more, hundred X mm. more than what we're going to charge you or anyone else is going to charge you for that matter. Uh, Dana, what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success over the years? Networking. Um, mm. That is. That is. I will. I will tell you. That is the number one skill set for me was networking. And you know, uh, even before that, I would say if if you could identify the top two or three things that you're really really good at, um, you know, that's 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 going to be your vehicle to providing value into the marketplace. You know, so I'd say net for me, networking was number one. and Number two is leadership. Uh, You know, I've, I've learned very early on that, you know, I have a lot of natural skills that make me a good leader. Uh, And over the last two, three years, I've been, you know, really working hard and I've hired a lot of people to make sure that natural gift is enhanced, right. And honed. Um, So I'd say leadership and networking is what contributed a lot of my success. So how can our listeners learn more about you, your business and your coaching, Daniel? Um, yeah, I love giving out free stuff. So I know I'm not Oprah, but you know, I, I try to give as many free stuff as I can. So uh, if you go to the quackbrothers.com and there's a tab that says free stuff, uh, you can click on that and you'll literally see everything from a, a free three hour owner financing class that I put together where I literally teach people how I negotiate for seller financing, how to find sellers that want to do seller financing. Um, You know, we have a free real estate course in there, right? Teach people how to raise capital, right? Teach, you know, we call that real estate base camp, right? Because if you think about a journey up the mountain, that base camp is super duper important to have at the base of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have that one there. My brother did a productivity class. And I also do a free meetup every other Tuesday. So Nice. Uh, as long as you plug in with us and, you know, uh, we send out emails and you know whatnot. And so, uh, yeah, we do a free meetup every other Tuesday, which I think if you just Google Quack Brothers Real Estate Meetup, you'll, you'll be able to find it. But uh, yeah, free meetup, uh, free course. And I also give out a free book. So if all that wasn't enough, I'll throw in a free book in there as well. And so I think with the book, all you got to do is just pay for shipping. So um, yeah, just go to quackbrothers.com forward slash free stuff. And uh, all, that, all that stuff is there.
0: Right. And it's uh, KWAK. Is how yes, you sir. Your last yeah, name. K- okay. KWAK. So thank you so much for coming on, Daniel. Uh, it's been a pleasure. A lot of great information for our listeners and looking forward to meeting up with you and connecting in the near future.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast.
0: I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you.